Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org. Well, good evening, everyone. We're so happy to have you all with us this evening for our program. I am Phil Hansen. I'm the president of Global Minnesota. I've been on board for about five months now, so it's getting less and less new, I guess, for me all the time. I'm beginning to see many familiar faces in the room, and it's great to have you with us. Our mission is to advance international understanding and engagement. And together tonight, we hope to be able to do that with all of you. Our organization has a lot of amazing things going on. I'd like to talk just a minute about Global Minnesota. We've been hosting over the last week now an amazing delegation of International Visitor Leadership Program members with us from Brazil, a group of healthcare workers coming up. Uh, and we also had a group of, for arts and culture as well here during that same period. So we've had some amazing groups coming through as part of our professional exchanges program. I know some of you in the room helped out with providing um, home dinners for people as part of that program, and we're very thankful for that. We're gonna be hosting another group coming up next week of health ministers from all over the world, and we're looking forward to serving and supporting them. And coming up, we have a number of terrific events. If you haven't had a chance to grab um, one of the flyers out front, um, we have some just excellent, excellent uh, events coming up down the road, including um, engaging the diaspora to rebuild Somalia. Uh, we'll have a program there with the uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs from Somalia. We have, our, of course, our global gala for the uh, our global celebration coming up on May 6th. Uh, we have our World Citizen event, Journeys of Humanity, with uh, human rights advocate and author Jane Olson. And we have a program called Lessons uh, from the Edge with uh, former ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, coming as well. And that will be a discussion and book signing with the former ambassador. So we hope that you'll consider joining us at some of those future events. I want to say a quick shout out to the 90 or so people that are online with us tonight and join the program, in addition to uh, the wonderful people that are in the room joining us this evening. I want to say thank you to the Humphrey School for acting as a, a planning partner for this event with us. We're lucky to work alongside uh, all of you and the many programs that we do. So thank you very much to the Humphrey. And I'd also like to thank the uh, Middle East uh, Policy Council for acting as um, our promotional partner for the evening as well. If you'd like to learn more about Global Minnesota, you sure can. And Alex is in the back. Some of you encountered her when you came in tonight. She can talk to you about our programs and our membership and being a part of Global Minnesota. Um, tonight's program will be a presentation from Mr. Ziavari, followed by a question and answer period with the audience. We'll also take questions online via Zoom. So just know that in the Zoom chat, uh, you can put, put in questions and people will be monitoring those throughout the program and in the room through question cards. So if you would like a question card, please just raise your hand um, and we will bring question cards around to you. A uh, team member will then pick those up and they'll be a part of the program, the Q&A toward the end of uh, this evening. At the end of the presentation, we'll invite our moderator to the stage and our team will collect the cards and, and those questions will get asked as part of that program. Now I'm going to turn it over to our, our diplomat in residence at the Humphrey School, uh, Mary Curtin, and she's going to introduce our speaker for the evening. Mary? Um, thanks for that. And uh, once again, welcome to the Humphrey School. On behalf of Dean Bochwe, I'd like to welcome everyone who's in the room with us and all of those who are on Zoom. Uh, I think that's one great thing about the pandemic is that we've discovered that we can do these kind of events both in person and on Zoom um, for people who aren't able to make it in. Um, I would like to um, thank Phil and the team at Global Minnesota for bringing us 
these kinds of events. And I'd like to add one more, um, although I think it's fully subscribed next Monday, we'll have a senior official from the Department of State, Mr. Kim Moy, who graduated from the University of Minnesota and is now the number two person in the Department of State for um, uh, US-China relations and for US-Asia relations. And he'll be talking about that. Um, and that's just one other example of the kind of events that we um, we are able to put on in partnership with Global Minnesota and some of our other partners. Um, tonight's speaker, uh, Mr. Karosh Siabari, is an award-winning journalist from Iran, an Asia Times correspondent, and a Shevening Scholarship recipient. Uh, he's a, world, a, a 2022 World Press Institute Fellow, that World Press Institute uh, in St. Paul, and an alumnus of the Dag Hammarskjöld Fund for Journalist Fellowship at the United Nations, which he completed recently. Mr. Ziafari is the recipient of a Professional Excellence Award from the Foreign Press Correspondents Association and the silver winner of the Prince Albert II of Monaco and United Nations Correspondents Association Global Prize for coverage of climate change. Mr. Ziabari was a finalist for three Kurt Shork Awards in International Journalism in 2020, 2021, and 2022. His writing has appeared in Foreign Policy, AI Monitor, The National Interest, Open Democracy, Middle East Institute, Middle East Eye, Atlantic Council, and New Arab Publications. We're pleased to welcome all of you here this evening person and online for what I hope will be an interesting and engaging discussion about Iran and U.S.-Iran relations. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Josiah Bari. And then, as we said, after there will be a question and answer period that will be moderated by Tim Odegaard, uh, at Global Minnesota, who's also a high school graduate. So um, anyway, welcome. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, it's a pleasure to be able to share my perspectives um, at this forum today. A special thanks to Global Minnesota for taking the initiative to host this talk. Um, You're doing an important job connecting Minnesota to the world and inspiring critical thinking. And I'd like to thank the University of uh, Minnesota's Hubert H. Humphrey School of um, Public Affairs for partnering to organize this talk. I'm delighted to give this pre presentation at one of the best schools of public affairs nationally. In the next 45 minutes, uh, I'll be speaking about the monumental social evolution that has been unfolding in Iran over the past six months and how this stretch of transformation will impact the maturation of understanding between the people of Iran and the United States. Uh, for a generation of Americans, uh, the name of Iran has consistently evoked the deplorable images of the 1979 hostage crisis when a group of 52 American diplomats and citizens were held captive by a contingent of um, radical revolutionary students for a protracted traumatizing period of 444 days. With the ensuing severance of diplomatic relations, communication between the two nations was minimized and their exchanges Retailed substantially despite decades of cordial relationship. The twilight of Tehran Washington alliance meant that the two people's understanding of each other was circumscribed. And moving forward, they had to rely on a scant and often partial media narratives to relate to each other. They were stripped of the privilege of firsthand observations. The older generation of Americans who remembered the days of flourishing Iran US relations before 1979, have more concrete images to build on. Many of them had the opportunity to 
travel to Iran and view the country as any other national ally of the United States. Many of them had relatives there. According to David Newsom, the former Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs, by 1978, some 40,000 Americans lived in Iran, engaged in private and public sector projects in both the civilian and military fields. Uh, the exclusivity that Iran gained as a U.S. adversary with no official diplomatic relations after 1979 means those images are unavailable to the younger generation of Americans. In the past four decades, bilateral relations have predominantly been shrouded in hostility, tension, and rivalry. And even those, even uh, when the two countries had shared interests, for example, in the stabilization of Afghanistan or in fighting ISIS, they refused to openly acknowledge that and celebrate the opportunity to work together toward a common agenda. But unlike a handful of countries with which the United States doesn't maintain official diplomatic ties, namely North Korea, Bhutan, and Syria, and a number of countries heavily sanctioned by the US, such as Russia and Belarus, uh, there are elements that continue to bond the American and Iranian societies together, ensuring that an appetite for improved relations exists and that the two peoples cannot be indifferent to their respective destinies. As opposed to the conventional wisdom and what has been propagandized by the Islamic Republic, the Iranian people cherish the United States and its culture. Uh, Herbert London, the late conservative commentator and former president of the Hudson Institute, argued in a 2018 piece for the Fox News website, which was indeed exceptional, that unlike the government, Iranian people are largely pro-American. He wrote, I quote, by any stretch of the imagination, the most pro-American people in the Middle East, other than Israelis, are, Irani are Iranians. This, this is despite the fact that Iran's Islamist dictatorship makes hatred of America a foundation of its foreign policy, unquote. At the same time, uh, the presence of the Iranian community in the United States has been vital for decades, a driver of America's economic development and a contributor to the scientific and scholarly progress of the society. Many of the key entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley, distinguished academics, inspiring literary figures, brilliant journalists, and towering scientists serving America today are people of Iranian heritage. Uh, in terms of educational attainment, the community of uh, Iranian Americans has made remarkable achievements over the years. According to Migration Policy Institute, Iranian immigrants have significantly higher educational attainment levels relative to the US born and overall immigrant populations. 2019 data shows that 59% of Iranian, American, um, Iranian migrants aged 25 or older reported having a bachelor's degree or higher compared to 33% of US born and immigrant adults. The average income of the Iranian households in the US is also reported to be much higher compared to the immigrant and native born populations. In 2019, Iranian migrants reported a median household income of $79,000 compared to $64,000 and $66,000 for the total foreign born and native populations, respectively. Uh, of the 92 foreign born billionaires on the Forbes annual world billionaire release for, 20, um, for the year 2022, that have combined net worth of $711 billion and hail from 30, 35 different countries, two are from Iran. Former US President Donald Trump, whose hostile foreign policy uh, towards Iran was almost unprecedented for any US leader and whose withdrawal from Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action or um, what is commonly known as the Iran nuclear deal set the stage for a steep deterioration of relations at once admitted 
that Iranians in America are one of the most accomplished immigrant communities. A couple of months after his executive order of January 2017, known as the Muslim ban, blocked Iranians from traveling to the U.S., uh, Donald Trump said in his Persian New Year message, quoting, um, for many years I have greatly enjoyed wonderful friendships with Iranian Americans, one of the most successful immigrant groups in our country's contemporary history. Uh, the bottom line is that although political relations continue to be overwrought and the two governments are not in talking terms, the people of Iran and the United States remain relevant to each other and there is a panoply of indications why this relevance won't be dislodged anytime soon, including what I already uh, enumerated. An outward-looking young Iranian population that perceives the, uh, the United States as an inspiration whose cultural distinction is encapsulated by the Hollywood Bob Dylan Ernest Hemingway, Rosa Parks, and other icons. Um, the diaspora that is an integral constituent of the American melting pot and a genealogy of historical relations characterized by sympathy and harmony. I digress. Islamic Republic, who's um, at, at this moment bad-mouthing the United States as a hostile government, has actually capitalized on what is known as the 1955 Treaty of Amity between the two countries to file a lawsuit against the U.S. at the International Court of Justice in The Hague to demand that nearly $2 billion of its frozen central bank assets by Washington be released. Uh, regardless of the outcome of the, pen, of the pending case, what is ironic is that even the current um, deeply anti-American leadership in Tehran hasn't been able to entirely dissociate itself from the legacy of rapport and amity that existed connecting the two countries for decades. Uh, and its legal justification for soliciting compensation from its arch enemy is an agreement that accentuated two nations' camaraderie 68 years ago. Uh, but it cannot be ruled out that however long standing bonds of the two nations, they have been overshadowed by more than four decades of diplomatic bitterness and estrangement. It has only been cemented over time. One of the upshots of this metastasizing alienation has been the decline of public perceptions induced by media portrayals that grew more negative on both sides as, as rifts widened. Academics and journalists alike have argued that the US media coverage of Iran has been overwhelmingly negative and has steeped in unfavorable stereotypes. And in Iran also, the United States has been consistently painted as the bogeyman responsible for the entire agonies and failures of the nation. Today, I'm mainly focusing on how attitudes and preferences have been shaped in the US and how they can be redefined in the wake of a social uprising in Iran that is believed to be historic, so that the outcome is, is a novel understanding between the two nations. Um, in an essay for The Nation magazine in August 2019, two members of the editorial board of the French magazine Le Monde Diplomatique, Serge Halimi and Pierre Rambard, documented how the U.S. media downplayed the gravity of the Iran Air Flight 655 incident. When on July 3, 1988, U.S. Navy-guided missile cruisers shot down an Iranian passenger plane over the Persian Gulf, killing 290 passengers and crew on board. They ascribed this mode of reporting to a pension for dehumanizing the Iranian people and underwriting their lives as unworthy. In 2013, Jonas Siegel and Sarnaz Barfouj of the University of Maryland studied the coverage of Iran's nuclear controversy from six English language publications, three of which are US newspapers. The Washington Post, Policy Journal, 
New York Times, The Guardian, Financial Times, and The Independent. The conclusion they made was that these outlets framed the reporting of Iran's nuclear file such that the official narratives of the Western governments on the issue would be presented to the readers, offering the decision makers a narrow set of policy responses and recommendations, namely coercive diplomacy and war. This approach was analyzed to be oddly reminiscent of the coverage of Iraq in the lead up to the 2003 invasion of the country. The two scholars concluded that the coverage of Iran's nuclear program, I'm quoting, reflected and reinforced the negative sentiments about Iran that are broadly shared by US, European, and Israeli publics. The Washington Post journalist Vanessa Larson, reporting on the photography exhibition by Iranian artists in August 2019, wrote, quote, 40 years after the Iranian revolution, US media coverage of Iran is so overwhelmingly focused on the country's broad relationship with the United States that certain images have become tropes. Some photographs of chador-clad women shown in profile, their faces almost invisible as they walk past anti-American street murals are published with ludicrous frequency, unquote. There is no shortage of academic studies or commentary on how US and Western media portrayals of Iran have unfailingly cast the country in a bad light, concerning the human face of a nation and the stories of individual Iranians and ended up generating misconceptions about them. To be sure, the chronic isolation Iran has been grappling with for, for years is a self-inflicted malaise the government in Taiwan has embraced willingly uh, through its policies and conduct, and they have been the ordinary Iranians are paid a hefty price of this isolationism. Had a set of different policies been in place, the fortunes of the Iranian people would have been doomed to decline. And their standing in the world would have been radically different. The detachment from the international community and being cornered in the middle of a strategically important region is a miscarriage of modus operandi adopted by the government consciously and cannot be blamed on any media narrative. But the mainstream media cannot be exonerated when it comes to the indiscriminate depiction of Iranian people as a demographic largely prone to violence, characterized by intolerance, conservatism, anti-Western proclivities, and religious fundamentalism. These are tropes that have been perpetuated for many years, instilling in the minds of the American audience that when trying to decipher Iranians and their lifestyle, these stereotypes should be the primary France. Uh, it went away. Okay. Uh, research by social psychologists Michael D. Slater of the Ohio State University and Robert H. Weeks of the University of Arkansas has demonstrated that our minds rely on a range of cognitive associations that result in quick judgments about various social categories, such as other nationalities members of ethnic groups. This intellectual transition is known as a heuristic processing, since we normally find it cognitively, cognitively laborious to make individual choices in each social instance and in dealing with each single phenomenon, we get to progressively trust these judgments produced by cognitive associations. As argued by a group of scholars, including Travis Dixon, professor of communication at the University of Illinois, at Urbana-Champaign, one of the drawbacks of heuristic processing is the inception of reductionist stereotypical judgments that are reinforced by media consumption. 
is a significant body of scholarly studies corroborating that a single exposure to a mediated stereotype can stimulate the cognitive connection between a specific social group and a stereotypical trait, which after activation informs how our cognitive, attitudinal, or behavioral decisions are conceived. In the context of what I'm discussing today, I'd like to conclude from these scholarly observations that after more than four decades of atrophying political relations between Tehran and Washington and concomitant skepticism in the portrayals of Iran in the US media, it is intrinsic that American public interprets Iranian society through the prism of a finite, often misleading set of characteristics or wind up being generally unaware of its developments. I will start an example. One of these cognitive associations that are being peddled by a large number of conservative media and subconsciously accepted by audience groups is the juxtaposition of the Iranian nationality and violent extremism. For years, this talking point has been conveniently rehashed that Iran exports transnational terrorism that and that Iranian people are inherently prone to violence. If no distinction is made between how the Iranian government sponsors a specific set of militant proxies across the Middle East, which is evidently the basis for the terrorism sponsorship allegations, and the propensities of a dominant majority of peaceful Iranians and the way they conduct themselves at home and overseas, we risk a slipping into the intelligence trap of drawing flawed inferences and making hasty generalizations. Cato Institute released a comprehensive policy analysis in May 2019 titled Terrorists by Immigration Status and Nationality, a Risk Analysis, 1975-2017. The research detailing the countries of origin of individuals who carried out acts of terror on the US soil found that between 1975 and 2017, a total of 12 Iranian-born terrorists were identified in the United States. Their activities resulted in zero deaths. By contrast, within the same time frame, 16 Croatia-born terrorists murdered three people, and 18 Saudi Arabia-born terrorists were responsible for 2,351.8 murders. It was allowed nine Egypt-born terrorists murdered 160.8 US and non-US citizens. The non-whole figures here are because the number of victims of a single incident was divided equally among multiple perpetrators. Uh, it's a given that in a democracy like the United States, where the freedom of the press is constitutionally guaranteed and the state is prevented from imposing its dictate on the media, there are the editorial boards and sometimes corporate financiers that determine the trajectory and permutation of media coverage, not the political government interests. But still, the effects of the quality of relations between governments on the orientation of media coverage of interlocutors cannot be ruled out. For example, Thomas Rock of the University of New South Wales, John Sung of Korea University, and Bohui Zhang of the Chinese University of Hong Kong in a 2021 study of the impact of political relations on media coverage documented using a sample of 3,290 American depository receipts, ADRs, from 45 countries. That poor political relations between the US and ADR firms' home country have translated into negative coverage by the US media of the ADR firm. The same way mass media have a significant impact on galvanizing public support for governments and constructing public policy decisions, governments also play a role in how media frame their discourses. 
This is a symbiotic relationship driven by shared exegesis of the concept of national interest. In some countries, the relationship can be much more explicit and others subtle and nuanced. Now let's assume that the Iran-US relationship will continue to be frozen, at least defined by wrangling and lack of accommodation for the foreseeable future, which is a strong likelihood given the intransigence of the Iranian government and its refusal to engage in goodwill efforts to dispel tensions. Then is the inevitable corollary the persistence of unsympathetic inimical chronicles of the Iranian people in the US media, eclipsing the American public's perceptions of Iranians in lingering suspicion and cynicism? The short answer is most probably not. The events of recent months in Iran and how they have been reported internationally should be broken down as a harbinger of new beginnings connecting the people of Iran and the United States, by extension, the wider world. Running counter to the assumption that the two sides are destined to remain on different wavelengths without getting, to, getting a chance to understand each other. Paraphrase, the social evolution that has kicked off argues the facilitation of a civilizational dialogue, one that is quite exceptional coming at a historic crossroads and in part, in this part I will explain uh, why. The overarching image painted of the Iranian people has usually tended to be one characterizing them as mostly conservative, deeply religious, conformist, monolithic population. Their progressive attitudes, the wave of secularization sweeping through the country, the youth's persistent disobedience to the ruling elite, and the cultural and ideological diversity the society embodies have been broadly glossed over and omitted from the media coverage. It's not realistic to argue this omission has been deliberate, but it certainly bears the hallmarks of ignorance, a prevailing unawareness about the rapidly evolving society. This simplification of complex demographic has even manifested itself in how US newspapers have been choosing their cover photos for Iran-related stories for a while. In 2017, Adam Johnson, a contributing analyst for fairness and accuracy in reporting, wrote a piece on the low block titled, Stop Using Woman in Chador Box by Anti-US Mural a Stock Photo for Every Article About Iran. This piece was a sarcastic criticism of the unusual frequency with which images showing the Iranian women clad in a black chador with only their faces visible walking past the US bashing mural in Tehran, depicting the Statue of Liberty with a skull face have been, have been used for news articles about the country. It might sound trivial, but these selections matter, and it is through such basic imagery that people without real-life access to remote destinations get to conceive and comprehend them. Uh, over time and in the absence of alternative accounts, audiences are incentivized to frame their judgments of those territories building on the same imageries, and this is why the role of media is imperative in shaping public perceptions of countries. There is an uprising in Iran and the display of international solidarity that coalesced around it shattered many of the stereotypical portrayals and supplanted those ingrained convictions with new realizations that are radically transforming the American public's appreciation of Iranians. After a 22-year-old Kurdish-Iranian woman, Mahsa Amini, died in custody of the country's detested morality police on September 8, 2022, an outpouring of public anger and consternation jolted the entire country, and a social movement cropped up with the central role of women as the propellers and frontrunners of the protest. It was initially 
the abolition of the morality police and the revocation of the compulsory hijab laws that constituted the core of the protesters' demands. But as the protests made, head, uh, made headway and gained wider traction, people's demands also became more radicalized, including a transition away from the Islamic Republic. In the world's eyes, set on the Iranian people's revolt, new terminologies began to be used to describe them. It was their bravery, resilience, determination, and aspirations that were widely eulogized, and the global media, specifically the US media, spoke at length about how courageous the men and women of Iran are, defying the iron fists of the government, braving bullets on the streets to reclaim their rights. This was the appearance of a paradigm shift in reporting on Iran and understanding the country, and of course, a reversal in the public perceptions of the nation in favor of a more sympathetic narrative. Scenes of confrontation between the protesters and security forces and the unprecedented images of women scrapping their headscarf despite the continued enforcement of the strict compulsory job rules startled people across the world who wouldn't expect to see such images trickling out of a country often associated with its dominant conservative culture and the stubbornness and the theocracy ruling it. These emerging pictures challenge and subdue the cliches that used to pigeonhole Iranians for years. The world could discern that as opposed to the conventional wisdom, Iranians are not an obedient, submissive collective. Rather, they're freedom-seeking and prepared to square up to the establishment to fight for their dignity and rights. It became known that despite the dominant majority of Iranians being pious Muslims, there is also a growing stream of young Iranians who don't wish to be bound by religious rules and prefer a liberal lifestyle. The movement made it recognizable that Iranian women are not passive and common fodder for a patriarchal juggernaut, but a powerful sorority that as agency is capable of delivering change and endowed with strong leadership talents. And also it dawned on many observers that the myth of Iran being a monolithic, monotonous social construct has to be debunked. The society is much more diverse and heterogeneous than previously taught. For one thing, they were the nation's ethnic minorities, including Kurds, who were at the helm of the uprising that had taken wing. Uh, obviously, these depictions were eye-opening in the sense that they lifted the veil on a different and rarely exposed side of the Iranian society. Despite the literal absence of international correspondence in Tehran to file first-hand reports of the developments as they unfolded, and as, as a space for the local reporters was shrieking steeply with the government launching a full-throated campaign against independent journalists, the US media did a remarkable job bringing the movement to life. From online publications to national dailies and public radio, the coverage of the protest was overwhelming and uninterrupted. Ensuring that the American public constantly remained briefed about the thread of events from what quickly morphed into a news hotspot. This is despite the crippling interim blackout the government instituted, cutting off millions of Iranians from the outside world and from each other in a bid to constrain the flow of information, make it harder for the protesters to mobilize and foreclose the sharing of reports about the crackdown. Perhaps it was by, uh, by virtue of this media coverage that some of the most eminent international public figures, artists, celebrities, and other luminaries, including household names of US culture and arts, showered the Iranian people with messages of solidarity and offered 
other symbolic gestures to express their support for the Women Life Freedom Movement. Kate Blanchett, Angela Julie, Kate Winslet, Jason Momoa, Samuel, Samuel Jackson, Jada Pinkett Smith, Brian Cranston, and Selena Gomez were some of the top notch figures of the entertainment industry in the US voiced their support for the Iranian people's cause. And in every stage of the movement, more prominent personalities jump on the bandwagon to say that they sued with the protesters. The new trend that was picking up steam was the human face of the country coming to the fore, sidelining the omnipresent pattern of dehumanization that for decades had cast a shadow of uncertainty and suspicion over how Iranians were illustrated in the media and understood by the Western and in particular American audiences. Not only the general public, but the political leadership of major democracies in the world sympathized with the Iranian people's movement as their quest for freedom and equality resonated with the same values these democracies enshrine and promote. Observing this exceptional bravery, resistance and moral strength being exhibited by the Iranian people encouraged an elevated interest in the Iranian affairs among the US public and new questions were being asked on how this episode of social evolution differentiated Iran from many of its neighboring countries. Now the distinctions were being recognized more widely and analogies were being drawn, putting Iran in contrast to other regional countries where civil society is pretty much dormant and an impulse for social change literally doesn't exist. The fallacy that Iran's civil society had cratered and faded away was openly contradicted. And the idea that Iranian people deserve support was given renewed impetus. The violence with which the uprising was contained, unbridled detentions and the staggering human toll incurred with the hundreds of protesters killed or injured rendered the past several months traumatic, bitter and mentally draining for millions of Iranians. Families were left bereaved and lives were ravaged. The collective grief inflicted on the society takes a long while to be healed. And of course, the psychological recovery of the populace won't be easy. But despite the heavy cost paid and regardless of the outcome, the movement has been a success in terms of spawning a novel discourse. One of its key achievements has been to put the, put the democratic aspirations of the Iranian people before the public eyes giving the international community the chance to behold the inception and growth of a new campaign for freedom in a region where the continuity of authoritarian rule has been the order holding sway and feminist revolutions aren't quotidian. It's perhaps for the same reason that Iranian people's crusade was described by many observers as the first women-led or feminist revolution of the Middle East. The premise of this presentation has been that the genesis of social evolution in Iran lays the groundwork for improved Iran-US understanding. The sympathies this movement generated across the US, the attention it garnered, and the excessive media coverage it received should be construed as the beginning of such an understanding, which is a welcome development coming to pass at a time to cover the two governments are at each other's throats, and a political rapprochement seems to be an uphill battle and for time being impractical. The incontrovertible social transformation that is in the making in Iran has been supplemented by transformation of perspectives about the country. And this means the legacy of dehumanization that are for, for so long underpinned 
the public representation of Iranians has been overcome. The fact that the individual stories of so many Iranians involved in the protests were recounted and listened to, that many Americans who had watched the Academy Award being the salesman felt concerned when its leading actress was detained for expressing solidarity with the protester, that people in the US and elsewhere memorized the names of some of the youngest victims of the crackdown, all unveil a U-turn in how an erstwhile misunderstood nation was being seen. At the same time as promising readiness for a fresh engagement, bridging the gaps between the two nations. A question that might be asked is, in what ways had the dehumanization I alluded to played havoc with the possibility of the people of Iran and the United States understanding each other? Jessica Jameson, professor of communication at North Carolina State University, has recently co-authored a paper on how social media can be utilized to dehumanize entire groups of people. One of the findings was that the language used on social media platforms closely paralleled the three stages in Terrell Northrop's theory of interactable conflict. One, is this, one stage is threat, meaning that people in one group perceive another group as a threat to their identity. The second stage is distortion, which means the first group will decide not to engage with the new information regarding the other group to begin with, instead distorting or dismissing it as irrelevant. And the third stage is rigidification, through which people become locked in their positions, making it difficult or impossible to change the views of the other group, and this is how dehumanization emerges. When it comes to the engagement of the Iranian-American people, it's perceptible that as a result of years of division compounded by alienating media narratives, these stages toward dehumanization have been fulfilled. A large segment of the American public found itself entirely uninterested in Iran, both as a concept and as a geopolitical construct. This lack of interest has not stemmed from a paucity of information or been spurred by geographical distances or because there have been so many countries to care about. In the case of Iran, we have been witnessing a progressive decline in public perceptions. According to Gallup in 2022, only 13% of Americans had favorable views of Iran, while 84% held unfavorable views of the country. The prolongation of this lack of interest and the perpetuation of calcified cynicism, resulting in outpouring of an othering um, of an entire population, can have alarming ramifications as well, in the sense that over time, it makes the authorized community or people expendable. This scenario, adopting policies toward the dehumanized population that might otherwise face resistance and be costly, turns out to be politically convenient and uncontroversial. The politics of dehumanization is certainly an important conversation to delve into, but it has to be debated at a different forum. I just made reference to the delicate ways this trend had obscured reflections on Iran to highlight how important the nascent paradigm shift is. Although it requires a rigorous academic study to substantiate the change of attitudes, one thing is certain and will be proven over time. The dawn of social evolution in Iran is remodeling the public image of the nation and presenting a unique opportunity for the people of Iran and the United States split due to historical inevitabilities repossess their bonds and find a common ground for dialogue. It doesn't matter if this understanding doesn't immediately translate into a political breakthrough in how the two governments interact. What is of substance is for two nations with long-standing ties 
and shared values to revitalize their once thriving kinship and recognize that democratic ideals are what associates them with each other. Iran is now a hotbed of social change and people inside the country would tell you the society is prone to prospective outbursts of discontent, especially given that the government is insisting on the failed policies that has sparked the protests in the first place. New restrictive measures have been dangled by the administration on enforcing the compulsory job and polarization is being peddled deliberately with the ruling elites pitting the more conservative Iranians against the more liberal-minded progressive citizens in a rekindled cultural war. If the government continues foisting pressure on women and refuses to revisit its agenda, the recurrence of the protest movement will be preordained. And at this time of change and upheaval, when Iranians bravely further their battle for equality and dignity through civil disobedience, activism and rebellion against decayed norms and unbending structures, the window of opportunity for harmony between the people of Iran and the United States should be seized and their shared potentials harnessed to open up a new chapter in the timeline of their deep-seated ties. The United States has been the crucible of phenomenal movements that have changed the course of the nation drastically. And the fundamental reforms brought about as a result of these struggles are the fruit of the collective perseverance of men and women dedicated to making America a role model. On multiple occasions, Americans rose to demand systemic change and succeeded. Most of these movements um, started with a resolve to right the wrongs that had plagued parts of the society or the entirety of it. From the women's suffrage movement that came into being as far back as 1820s and delivered its first results when the 19th Amendment enfranchised 26 million American women to vote in the 1920 presidential election, the civil rights movement, and the disability rights movement, culminating in the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, and the ongoing momentum of the Black Lives Matter movement, generations of Americans have fought for causes that have been noble and precious. That the United States now prides itself on being an example for the democratic world is a courtesy of these different battles being fought by people at different junctions of the history resulting in new rights being won by the constituents and flood arrangements being overthrown. As such, the ongoing battle of the Iranian people to achieve their basic rights, personal freedoms, equality, and dignity, and truncating the intrusion of government in their private lives is a pursuit that can be relatable for Americans who owe many of the freedoms that they take for granted today to the heroism and determination of their forefathers who strived for better lives for the posterity. Notwithstanding the provenance of the concepts of, concepts of democracy and liberty as decoded in the political parlance, yearning for equal rights, freedom, and representation are driven by human instinct. Such desires cannot be confined to a specific geographical boundaries. The people of Iran have made history with their grit and audacity showing in action how an authentically democratic enterprise can emanate from a setting that has been alien with the concept of democracy for several decades. The social renaissance and the unprecedented awakening of a young dynamic population should be appreciated to foster dialogue with the agents of change driving the momentum on the streets of Iran. Iranians have been seeking to break free from the international isolation 
that has been imposed on them over a protracted period of time. They wish to make their movement known to the world, and they continue to be avant-garde and progressive. At the Time magazine, recognized the women of Iran as the heroes of the year 2022. Many said it was a credit that was given duly and represented a step in the direction of humanizing society after years of dehumanization. This is an opportune moment for affinity and fraternity between the people of Iran and the United States. Whenever people across the world learn about each other and marginalize the stereotypes, ignorance is vanquished and education is boosted. The Women Life Freedom Movement has produced many dividends, and one of them is the extension of an offer to the people of Iran and the United States to understand each other better, and more importantly, talk to each other on so many things they have in common, but had gone unnoticed for quite a while. I'm confident this new understanding will play a role in contributing to global peace. Thank you very much.